0: Hey, hey, this is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in today. You're going to hear my conversation with Mike Hardenbrook. He is the co-founder of growthgeeks.com, as well as GrowthHacker.tv. And Workify.co, there's a lot of different properties in there, but they are all intertwined, as you'll hear in his story. But basically, Growth Geeks is a marketplace for on-demand marketing service providers, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of like a marketplace for productized services or productized marketing services, if you will, which is really interesting. We covered a lot of ground as, as usual, got into the whole process of building this business, starting with building a premium content site over at growthhacker.tv and how that pretty quickly evolved into a pretty clear need for this type of marketplace. And yeah, I mean, it's been pretty impressive how they've been able to grow it. When I spoke to Mike offline, he told me that they're growing you know, above six figures a month in revenue, which is pretty exciting. They went through the Techstars stars. Incubator, you know, uh, accelerator, if you will. And, and we talked a bit about that, making the transition from bootstrapping, self-funded, you know, one business to the next into the accelerator, into venture capital, and their reasoning behind that, which is really interesting, um, how they manage the two-sided marketplace, how they vet for quality and focus on the system for selling the service without getting too deeply involved in the day-to-day delivery of the service, which is where kind of the freelancers and the agencies come in. And then we talked about Workify, their ability to, for agencies to white label their service, which is another whole dimension to all this. So yeah, it was really interesting talking to Mike about all this. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here you go. Here is my interview with Mike Hardenbrook. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Mike. How's it going?
1: Awesome. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. You've got a really interesting business and an interesting story of how you have built it. We're going to dig into all the details. But you know, I usually like to start with today and then kind of work our way backwards a a bit. So tell me about Growth Geeks. What is it? How do you explain what it is?
1: Sure, Growth Geeks is a marketplace for on-demand digital marketing. So you basically can go and find whatever you need for most types of marketing services. And instead of most agencies that have a contact us form, you can see the details of what services will be provided. Click buy, check out, fill out a form. They look it over, and unless they have questions, they'll Go ahead and get started. So it's quote unquote on demand.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. You know, there's so many little things about what you're offering here that (laughs) that I really want to dig into. I mean, first of all, it appears to be like a marketplace. So you're working with a lot of different providers, and you're you know kind of connecting two sides of the marketplace. And I know that's always challenging. We'll we'll dig into that. And it, it very much is a productized service marketplace. I mean, it's marketing services basically with people. The other piece that's interesting here is that you have an agency offer, like a white label option. That's right.
1: It's called Workify.
0: Okay, yeah, and, and you've kind of branded that separately too. So I want to kind of hear that story, and then of course you're you're the guy behind Growth Hacker TV.
1: Yeah, I'm the ghost in the machine. Bronson's the face.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Cool. So I mean, why don't we? Uh, like I said, let's let's work our way backwards. Like, where did you come from before all of this? Like, what's your kind of background?
1: Yeah, I have. Um, well probably like most entrepreneurs, uh, you dabbled, but you were probably went and studied something that you don't use now. Well, uh, you know, I got a degree in art history and go figure I'm a tech entrepreneur. So I started with some few businesses of all random things. I I built a foreign dental network where we inspected offices abroad and would refer Americans to places like Costa Rica and Panama. Uh, And so I built a dental network. Yeah. So it was It's a lot of the care is the same, but we would ensure that it was the same level with inspecting with U.S. dentists. So I built a dental network. And uh, long story short, I liked building businesses. But what I found was I was really good at at marketing them, probably better than any other thing. And so I taught marketing for a while. Um, My business partner, Bronson, did marketing and other services, uh, had an agency himself as well. And we got together and we're thinking how we could help other entrepreneurs and
0: startups. Where were you teaching marketing?
1: Uh, I had a website called Knowledgely, so knowledge.ly online. I still do courses now, um, but I haven't for several years because I was just so buried into building a business that I had no time to do any teaching. But um, yeah, so I was doing that. Um, I also do some mentoring at Techstars and Baylor University and some other accelerators. But Back on track. So we, we launched Growth Hacker TV. This was before any dedicated platforms. Growth Hacker was still like a relatively unknown term.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, before we get into it, like, how did you meet your partner?
1: Bronson was a top seller on Udemy at the time, and so was I. And I looked at his profile and I said, holy crap, this guy only lives a couple miles down the road from me, which we both lived in, uh, in Naples, Florida, which there's, it's not like a tech slash entrepreneur mecca. So I reached out, and him and I uh, hit it off pretty well with no business intentions at all, but uh something came of
0: that cool, so both of you were were kind of teaching marketing you're you're both pretty popular on udemy, so you're into actually creating courses and building audiences like did either of you have a personal audience built up at that time?
1: yeah, um I don't know that Bronson did with his web dev shop that he ran. Um, he also had a couple SaaS products at the time. I think uh, he had his digital agency, Dump Punk, and another one called Iconify, which was a photography SaaS product. Uh, they actually actually, they did have a large audience. And then I did my knowledge.ly, which is still up. And I had about 10,000 subscribers at that time.
0: Very nice. So the two of you kind of you get to know him a bit but then you're you're starting to talk about get like partnering up on some new business idea like what was your first project that you guys worked on
1: it was growth hacker tv and the short story of why that worked was we recognized sort of what we call a wave coming in and you know you catch a wave too early and it you know you never really catch it and if it's too late it's already passed you by we caught it at the right time when growth hacker was a term that was being tossed around but nobody really knew anything about it so we said uh we, we, we aren't like the top growth hackers. So let's build a site around the top growth hackers and interview them and have them come in.
0: And this was around what, like 2011, 2012?
1: It was probably 2012. And, uh, so we did that. I think the two big growth hacks to that was one, we got in on the timing, right? The other one was that we didn't launch it until we had at least 50 episodes recorded. And so it was like, you know, it just showed up out of nowhere. And so anybody that had kind of thought about maybe doing it, they're like, Oh, well, these guys already have 50 and they're, they're already doing it, and uh, luckily with Bronson, uh, he already had a web dev shop, so we were set up with you know some nice tech immediately without a whole lot of overhead.
0: So I mean, initially with Growth Hacker TV, the idea was to create a premium content business, basically.
1: Right, premium content business, um, in depth episodes is what we call them. Over just you know, they're, they're less stories and more. All right, what are you doing, and and uh, what do you think other people that are listening could do? But we also left it. Uh, the first three interviews are always free. People could, if they didn't want to get access to the backlog, just you know one by one, listen to it weekly if they wanted to do. So it was kind of a free model with, with a, uh, a premium to get access to the full backlog.
0: Got it. And so you didn't even launch until you had 50 available. Right.
1: We just wanted to be like on the scene. You can't really charge for a product if you have three episodes either. So it was a bit like you got to build up the value on top of it if you're going to charge for.
0: I was going to say I mean even even then like it, it just to launch a content business there's so much free content available and to launch this as a premium like you know what makes it worth to pay for video interviews I guess that's one of the things that I mean aside from having really in-depth actionable content in the interview just to hit the ground running with 50 episodes that you can dig into on day 1 that really adds a lot of value right right from the start
1: Yeah luckily it worked out yeah
0: and so how did that work out Like initially as you started launching? like What was your launch process for that and getting a, a customer base on board for that?
1: Um, you know, I'm trying to think back to that. We got a lot of good word of mouth, which I don't even like throwing that in since I'm a marketer. But we initially launched on a few of the platforms like, uh, oh, uh, Betalist and other ones that are similar to that to get some early traction with that. Uh, We wrote quite a few guest blog posts. And then obviously, this was early, so people weren't interviewing CMOs or people that were quote-unquote head of growth. They were always interested in the top guy or the, the founder or whatever. And so it was a way to get them guys that weren't really getting invited to interviews in the past that were coming on now. And so they were much more excited to share that and leverage their audiences, because it was sort of a new thing for them to be spotlighted so that actually helped with a lot of the traction
0: and i mean back then what was like your long-term play on this was it to just sim- simply make this a premium content business on its own or did you even early on did you have visions for expanding into like a, a marketing marketplace that, that sort of stuff
1: yeah no it was totally not by design I mean the membership site was by design but it was purely like a bootstrap lifestyle business for the for the three of us it was Bronson myself and his brother who is the tech side of it uh, it was just hey let's build a business that will support our lifestyle we can travel the world we all travel we all have young families which i think you could connect with all of this yourself Oh totally <laughs> Yeah so so it was it started as a lifestyle business we were always bootstrap guys and um you know the way the story goes is, i'll tell you also is that it wasn't by design to launched this marketplace, it sort of just happened out of demand, which was we had two audiences and that watched the show. One were agencies, freelancers, marketers that were interested in maybe moonlighting and wanting to learn more about marketing from these you know growth hackers and top people around growth. And then the other side was people with startups, uh, SMBs, also some larger companies that were interested in listening to the show simply to learn how to grow their business. And what naturally happened was, you know, in talking to our customers is that the side that was the business would say, hey, you know, I really loved what I learned in this episode. But to be honest, I don't want to learn all that stuff. Do you know anybody that could do that for me? And you kept hearing this over and over and over again. And we realized that we had both the supply and the demand in our audience base. And so that's the idea kind of came from.
0: That's really cool. I mean, I could see that now how like you've really focused in on like the growth hacker, quote unquote, as the job title really for like that type of person, both interviewing them and then attracting growth hackers into the audience. So I mean, how did you go about getting that feedback and seeing those patterns and what people wanted beyond just access to the content? I mean, I see today on the site, it's not only the video interviews, but there's also like the community section. I assume that's some sort of like membership kind of forum recipes uh, so like, was that forum in pl- Is that where you're hearing most of the feedback from listeners?
1: No, it wasn't. And in all honesty, you know, most of that stuff is kind of dead and dying because things like uh, growth hackers did a much better job on ex- execution later on. Uh, we do the interviews really well. The recipes were very popular as well, but I mean, like I said, that that was a business that is still, um, we provide a lot of high quality content, but the team is now focused primarily and we grew a team to serve people on Growth Geeks on both sides of the marketplace and then also with Workify. But but really it was a matter of them just responding to the email blasts of notifying people about new episodes.
0: And then what was like the first kind of tip into all right, we should start something else like a marketplace, like Growth Geeks? Like do you remember some kind of moment when you were like maybe this is goes beyond just this membership site?
1: Yeah, no, there was a totally like dude kind of moment, you know, like, dude, we should do that. Because, you know, you, you look on product hunt, and I swear every other day, or maybe twice a day, you see a new on demand marketplace. But um, when we were wanting to launch this, like on demand marketing wasn't really like a concept that you would so much think about. I mean, Uber was still brand new. And we just thought, well, why can't we do that for marketing? Like contact forms suck, you know, and getting locked into three month full service agencies for smaller companies that have tight budgets, that sucks. Like, I think we can do something here. And so the question was, all right, let's see, you know, if we can get people on board. So it really started going after the supply side, which were the small agencies and freelancers to see if they would sign up. So we just put up a concept page with a LinkedIn connect for them to get sign up for the beta. And the reason behind that was just so that we could grab their photo and their profile information and any uh, testimonials people left on their LinkedIn profile just to gather data about who they were and who was signing up.
0: Got it. So, if I understand correctly, it is a marketplace, and you started with the supply side—the marketers, the people who would be hired. Like, like first, you had to sell them on the idea of listing themselves in in your marketplace.
1: Yeah. So, you, what you're seeing on the site, and what most people, if they go now, will see, is a fast forward version of what Growth Geeks used to be. So, it used to be, I guess, you'd say, the Wild West, and it was an open marketplace where we we the whole premise was high quality, affordability, but We sort of let it, uh, we let people in, we'd look over their profiles, we've hired a lot of freelancers and agencies, we provided services, we had a pretty good measure on how quality looks and shouldn't look, and when we would approve somebody, they would be able to go and choose what service they wanted to provide, they would write the copy themselves, they would choose the price they wanted, and they would post it, and then we would look it over and approve or not approve it. And so, you know, over time, we had thousands of gigs what we call them gigs, in the marketplace. And at the same time, we were driving customers also. But what you'll see now is a very highly curated amount of services provided at a pretty standard rate that you'll see. And there's a lot of reasoning behind that. And I could tell you, but it went through a lot of iterative and uh, learning processes over uh, well over a year.
0: Yeah, it's it's really cool. I do want to get into some of that transformation into the more curated model i mean it's it's very much like a like a marketplace for productized for mini productized marketing services basically each one of these as you click through like you know you could hire like a twitter growth engine or you can hire a blog writer or you know linkedin management and each of those is priced and you get a certain scope or deliverable in each one but you know before we get into that I mean, so so just st- still stepping back here in like the growth hacker TV days, you're getting this feedback from customers. You have this whole network of growth hacking, marketing experts who are basically willing to list themselves in this open, what was like an open marketplace. So you kind of reached out to them, you got their LinkedIn profiles and that kind of validated at least that side of, of the marketplace, right? Like,
1: Yeah. So we went to our, basically our customers first that we thought were agencies and we put together a good enough site that would allow them to connect and list some services, and at prices that we thought were decent. So we were getting supply side up, and then we were like, all right, let's go out and try to get people to sign up to the site. Uh, one, sign up as a customer, and two, hopefully go and buy something. And when I say sign up, I mean also them connect with their LinkedIn profile. The buyers as well? The buyers, correct.
0: Okay, so what would be the process for them to do that, and how did you get like the very first buyers?
1: Yeah, we did a lot of shady scraping. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, in all honesty, we did do a lot of uh, tactics that were just real scrappy, and it's mostly around. I, I'm a cold email guy, outbound email uh, sales guy. I always have been. That's how I built all our businesses. That's how we got people to get on Growth Hacker TV to both as a guest and starting to get customers. That's how I built the funnel network, and so it just seemed natural to go ahead and try and get people signed up to the site that would be potential buyers. Uh, so we started with startups. Since that's you know we we're startup guys, uh, startups are pretty transparent on where they are and their contact info on the internet, uh, and we just started reaching out to them uh, with some cold emails, and actually we just we kind of hit the the mark. Like people were just like, "This looks amazing, I love it." You know, like we just got you know most people associate cold email and outbound with uh, just annoying the crap out of people, but it was quite the opposite. That also verified to us that you know maybe we were on to
0: something well what was the pitch then like was it like hey come check out our marketplace where you can get on-demand marketing all these different services are available and it's easy to to find someone It's, it's low priced or was it like were you being more specific like if you need help with social media management you know like how did you pitch it if you have all these different marketing services being offered
1: yeah no it was uh it was not specific it was very casual. It was like four sentences. It was, Hey, you know, so, and so I I wish I could look it up right now just to read it to you, but it's super simple. It was something like, Hey, I found your profile on, you know, it depends on what the, let's say we found you on angel list. Um, we checked out what you're doing. We think it's, it would be a good match for what, uh, what we have growth geeks is, you know, a very short sentence. Like it's, uh, it's an on-demand marketing marketplace to find marketing services, you know, buy, only on deliveries. don't pay hourly, something like that. If you can use it, great. If not, you know, that's cool too. Here's the link to go check it out. It was like super, very simple, not complicated, not like, this is why you need marketing and this is why we're better and all that stuff. It was super simple and casual.
0: And if you're a buyer, I guess this is both back then and today, like to buy a service through Growth Geeks, Is it just kind of go on and browse and then buy just like any other like e-commerce site or do they have to like become a, are they buying some sort of membership before they can hire someone? How does that work?
1: No, they just go and buy just like any e-commerce. So uh, the process is you look over what you want. You can read reviews. uh, You purchase. We have a communication platform. So you communicate directly with your provider. Uh, You get a type form questionnaire immediately after purchase that'll ask you questions on like, let's say for the Twitter, you know. What's your profile? Who are you going after? Uh, what's your target demographic? Uh, what's your login information? And what are the goals you have for this and that kind of stuff?
0: I mean, I definitely want to dig into like how you guys manage delivery, or I mean, if you don't manage delivery or how that all works. But still, in, in kind of like the story of, of growing growth geeks, I mean, it sounds like it's been, to be honest, if, if someone's listening to this interview right now, it probably sounds like, you know, hit after hit after hit, or, or just like, you know, good step after good step. Like, what was. What was some, some feedback early on that, that, you know, made you kind of like change your approach or any like, critical feedback or things that just weren't working to as they were planned?
1: Yeah. No, I love how the stories all sound like hit after hit. But there are a ton of times I got kicked in the balls along the way there, for sure. <laughs> and we joke about all the shots we take. So, um, uh, you know, I think the biggest learning curve between, you know, when I said we listed things uh where things weren't working right is if i can skip forward from the first day that we launched uh somewhere between that and where it is now would be here we are with a couple thousand gigs several hundred freelancers several hundred maybe a couple thousand paying customers and seeing that there's problem there's a problem with liquidity in the marketplace there's a problem with the amount of people that are posting to the amount of ratio of what people are buying um and with a marketplace, that's a real problem. And marketplaces are tough. It's like building two products at once, you know. And so if you want to know the problem, that was a real problem that we had to face.
0: So you had like too many freelancers kind of competing for the same, for not enough business, basically.
1: Correct, in a way. So that was one problem, but it was it was more, we could dump more unlimited amounts of customers in there, but the liquidity problem still a problem, which is they're only buying a specific amount of gigs in a specific category at a specific price point. And all the other stuff is just kind of floating out there, right? And it's just noise. And the question is, after you build up all this inventory that took you a lot of time and effort in vetting, uh, what do you do with it, right? That's really the problem that we face. So,
0: And that's what kind of led you into... Getting into like the like the curation model, basically. The highly curated model, correct. How did you make that transition? Like, What was your first step of like you know ditching the old model and, and bringing all these people in both sides of the marketplace into the new model?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was really deeply rooted in data and it was, all right, I mean, if we want to look at it simplest, what's making us the most money, right? What services are making the most? Which services are selling the most popular and sticking around the longest? So the repeat buyers. Which ones are like the churn masters that you know they buy and they're out in a, in a month? What price points are they buying at? What's the max price point? What's the lowest price point that we can charge and still, after the agency's cut and fees and hard costs, does it make it worth it? There's just all these decisions you know you have to look at, and the, so the process was is you know we zeroed in on what services like we went to a baseline. What do most businesses need, right? Like really, if you look at most businesses there is a subset of services that they need. And there are outliers that, you know, you can serve them for sure and can blow it up for them. But in general, like digital marketing, there's really just a handful. There's not a thousand things that you need. There's, you know, we thought that there was like 40. I don't know if that that's the right number, but, you know, I think we were closer to it.
0: Yeah. You can break it up into like 40 different specific tasks that they'll need to figure out one way or another.
1: Exactly. So we figured out what we thought that was. We figured out And since, you know, I know that you like to talk about productizing, we figured, well, what services, you know, can we productize that's more like assembly line, as in they can service the customer, they can probably hire one or two employees to do the same thing over and over again, and it can scale with them. And it can be a monthly thing. So we were interested on focusing on the highest producing offers. We were interested in getting the price point right that we thought it wasn't so low that our margins didn't make sense. And it wasn't so high that you had to get on a phone call with them. So we zeroed on in that dollar amount we zeroed on which services, uh, and then we zeroed in on which ones were recurring the most Some are, are one off and that's fine too. Um, and which ones could scale.
0: Interesting. So you have like these thousands of freelancers in the marketplace. How did you kind of figure out who's going to be serving the, the Twitter service and who's going to be serving the, the brand development service and all these other, like of those 40 different services, how do you like boil it down to like the best freelancers for each one?
1: Sure. So, it came down to a few things. One, the most popular, were they, did they have a lot of repeat buyers? Were people happy? Were they leaving good reviews? Because those, those freelancers were showing a positive experience for customers. So we wanted to reward those people for sure. So that was one criteria. Uh, the other one would be, are they set up to do it a lot more? You know, if we took all their competition away in the marketplace, what would that look for them? Like, would their life be a nightmare? Or could they grow with us? You know, so that was the other consideration. And
0: and like, how did that work? Like, Did you actually like talk to each individual freelancer and kind of like talk it out and figure out that process or what did that like? For sure. And again, like, cause I, what I'm, what I'm curious about here is cause I've, I've done a somewhat, it's a totally different model, but a somewhat similar thing with audience house, but we're only focused on blog content. You've got what, 50, 60 different services to kind of work out the logistics for like, how did you guys manage that?
1: I mean, yeah, it's it really was. It's a person-to-person kind of business. This is, you know, uh, I mean, at its core, it's agency freelancer work. It's service sort of a service business. So uh, we had to talk to them. You know, we got on the phone. And it's not that we had to, but we did. You know, that's what we did. And, you know, hey, this is what we're planning. And, and the other thing was, is also we wanted to raise our margin. If we're going to give them all the customers and we were going to make them the sole proprietor on, on the platform, we wanted to say, hey, if we send you a continual, stream of customers. You don't have to ever worry about customer acquisition. Uh, you just do this, this f- fulfillment. Are you cool with us being more of a partnership at a higher margin um, between us? And, and every single one unanimously. Um, but it allowed us to also focus on sending them more business and allowed us to spend more to bring more. So that was another thing that we looked at.
0: Got it. Tell me a bit more about the operation, right? Like, like who is handling what? So obviously the Marketing and sales comes through Growth Geeks, but then what happens once the person buys? Like, how much is the freelancer just managing it themselves? How much do you guys manage in terms of delivery?
1: Yeah, we we are hands off in the transaction unless there's an issue uh, or a problem, then we'll step in and mediate, uh, which is rare. But but there's that, and then also going back to you know not breaking somebody's business by sending it too much business. We ended up building in. Uh, a software that would load balance. So we would allow to put multiple agencies behind one service.
0: Got it. And what does the revenue split
1: look like? Uh, Across the board, it it depends because, you know, you probably know that uh, certain services are more dependent on hourly, like writing is very time intensive. Whereas like, let's say somebody is handling a, a Twitter account could be plugging in using softwares. And it's just a matter of handing it off and having accounts set up. So Across the board, between one-offs and recurring, we're, we sit around at forty percent
0: is our take, and you just kind of adjust depending on what's entailed in the service, basically. Correct. Yeah, and you're kind of like negotiating that kind of one-on-one with e- with each service provider, or, or like service by service as they onboard. You guys kind of settle into a, a rate split and go from there.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of a standard uh, rate that we go with, and if they're good with it, you know, as if it works for them, then it's a good match. We don't tend to like do a whole lot of like, you know, one by one, like, let's see how low we can go with them. It's just, is it worth it for you? Is it worth it for us? Um, Because then you also run into issues with if we have multiple vendors, then if one's got a better deal, then there's like incentive to send them all the business from our side. And I don't want we don't want that sort of scenario. It's more just, you know, what works for their business and what works for ours. And let's work together and make some money and provide some quality services.
0: And you guys control the, the price points of everything. We do, yeah. Got it. So, like, then what else on the back end, right? Like, so the freelancer or the agency, they're they're providing all the service and the deliverables. How do you manage like quality control, or even just things like how much time it takes to deliver the same service? Like, one guy might do it quicker than the next. Like, how do you manage or standardize that?
1: Really, it's just uh, keeping a bird's eye view on everything. You know, if we see bad reviews coming through, then maybe we'll go and review like what the response times were. Uh, we'll go in and look, you know, were there any issues with communication? Could it possibly be a tech problem? Sometimes it's a customer problem, you know, like, uh, you know, they're non-responsive and the provider just can't do anything when somebody can't provide the info. So it's really just a matter of um, it's not micromanaging. It's very like high level management just to keep, you know, the the wheels moving.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I know that um, a lot of the bigger marketplaces deal with this you know i see on upwork how if you put in your your email address or a skype name they give you a little pop-up they try to prevent you from leaving their their system and like hiring the freelancer directly do you guys deal with that at all like where a client might want to just find the guy that or, or girl who's been working on that and hire them outside of growth geeks
1: yeah the disintermediation is like uh, always been something that people bring up especially like when we went and raised uh venture capital and it really comes down to the fact that there's a different setup and scenario between say something like Upwork and something like our platform. And and the difference really is on Upwork as a worker, you're fighting with everyone else there to get the work. Uh, you gotta maybe even do some spec work to grab a client. Or I mean, you know, some something free that they want to ask you from tests. And by the time you actually get that job, you feel that you've earned it, right? It's an active thing. you got to look for the jobs, postings, respond, send resumes. Anyways, so it's a very manual process just to secure the work. Our scenario is, is they might wake up in the morning and see you've got two new customers, log in, and start communicating. So there's not really an incentive for them to take it off the platform because if they did, they'd be looking at the other scenario if they you know no longer had that set up.
0: Right. In terms of the ongoing communication after they hire them, are they still just communicating directly with the customer?
1: They are. So after they are, yeah, they're communicating with the customer. I mean, the payments go automatically through the system. So, I mean, they could communicate by email if they prefer that that's not against our terms of service. Got it.
0: Tell me more about like the growth and where does it sit today in terms of revenue and size and what does your team look like and all that? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So the team is a team of seven and uh, full-time employees. We are a distributed team. And so I'm in Scottsdale, part of the time in Chicago. We have offices in Chicago because so we went through Techstars in Chicago and have some investors there. And um, we have people in Florida and
0: in Kentucky. When did you go through Techstars?
1: We went through Techstars 2015, summer of
0: 2015. So the marketplace was up and running when you went in?
1: Yeah, it was maybe eight months old, six months old. That's when we actually made the big transition towards the end of
0: Techstars. I'm curious, like what kind of attracted you to going that route, and, like, you know, getting into Techstars? And-
1: yeah, it... it <laughs> Kind of funny is that um, I cold emailed David Cohen, who is a, a co-founder of Techstars, in our list of startups, and he responded and said, have you ever checked out Techstars? I, I, of course, knew of Techstars, thought it was awesome, but I hadn't ever really considered applying. I said, wrote Bronson, I said, this looks pretty awesome, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should hit him back. So I hit him back, and, he, and I said, no, I haven't, but I'm, I'm interested. And he said, well, where would you want to go? I said, I'm not in one of the cities where they are. He goes, well, pick, pick two. And uh, I picked Chicago and Austin. And uh, he picked Chicago for us, intro us. We went through a very heavy vetting process. Uh, they lasted quite a few months. But uh, out of the, I don't remember how many thousand, but there were seven teams chosen and we were one of them. So it was a really exciting time, actually.
0: That's awesome. How long does that last? Like a, a few months?
1: It was uh, three months. Two, three months, I think we were there. Two months was the program. I think we were there another month. Yeah, but I mean, my claim to fame is that it's easier... Uh, to get into Harvard than it is TechStars, so yeah, uh, we feel pretty proud about it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, what kind of impact do you think it it made, like coming out of it or your experience going through it?
1: Oh, it was it was transitional. I mean, it was, it was a massive impact. I remember going in and coming out feeling like a completely different entrepreneur. Um, the exposure, the people that you get there, the program itself, uh, just learning about metrics that you would never look at, having conversations about. Way to look at the market, the way to look at raising funding, the way to look at paths to growth—all kinds of stuff that you would just. There's, there's no other place that I, I can think of that you would be able to get that level.
0: I'm just kind of curious because, like, you know, I'm very much in like the, or I've, I've been in like the bootstrapped, kind of self-funded, doing my own thing over here, focused on the basic. Things like, you know, cash flow and value propositions and that kind of stuff. But the, I'm just like curious about like the metrics or the approaches that that world takes. Like wh- whether it's the, the mentors or the other startups and that kind of, how does that, how do they have a different approach to building a business than like the typical self-funded bootstrapper?
1: Um, it's a hard question to answer in brevity, but I would say, well, one, I connect with you. I've always been a bootstrapper, both Bronson and I have always been. Uh, The conversation was...
0: I I mean, I asked that because I feel like there's a lot that we can learn from... Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, the... I mean, one, it's got to grow exponentially. It's got to grow fast for people like that. It can't just be a good, steady business. Even if it goes up and to the right, it's not something of interest. It needs to just grow exponentially, but... If you want to, I mean, if I take a step back instead of the metrics, it was like, why did we choose to decide to go from bootstrapped model to raising venture capital, well, first angel money and then venture capital? um why did we make that decision well the conversation was basically like this all right i think we can build a good business on this i think we'll make more than we're making right now with a current company with growth hacker tv i think there's a big opportunity but can we do it with or without and how would that look and when we thought about how it would look with the money we could move faster we could grow it bigger we could grab more of the market and if we could move faster then that meant that anyone that wanted to come in and learn those those hard things like the things i just told you about over a year that we learned about pricing about free marketplaces about all the glitches and 100 million glitches we had in the tech and you know learning all the ins and outs of the apis for payouts and splitting them between three different parties and all that mess hey if they thought they could catch up to us you know in a year without any funding and and we've already spent you know half a million dollars to get three steps ahead You know, we'll always be three steps ahead. And so that was sort of the decision, like, all right, let's go big at this, you know. I know I didn't, like, directly answer your question, but I think maybe some people might be wondering about why we went that direction.
0: I totally get it. So what does it look like today in terms of, uh, just to kind of, you know, bring it kind of full circle in terms of finding customers you know, the buyers of these highly curated services now. Is it, I know early on you you're using like cold email and, and to go out for the target customers. Like, how have you been scaling this up and getting more and more buyers into the funnel?
1: Yeah, we still do the same stuff, which is uh, cold outreach. We have quite a few just organic traffic coming at this point, coming into the uh, site and buying. It's steadily growing as it has been for a couple of years here. And then we've, as a team, uh, took on a new initiative um, that we thought was you know, a national transition. And yet again, which was serving agencies and allowing them to productize services inside their agencies and make it super simple.
0: Yeah, actually, I was just going to ask you about that. So that's over at workify.co. Yeah, I guess, again, like, when did that come up in the journey? And I'm assuming it came from some sort of feedback from agencies asking it to resell it?
1: It did. So yeah, so actually, since early days, uh, agencies have been reselling our products all day long, uh, you know, and they'll try and do it sneaky. And we're like, no, man, just do it. Yeah. Like, we love it. If you want cool to <laughs> sell them, yeah, do it. Like, sell it at whatever you want. We don't care. Like, I think that's a great model for you. And if we can do the fulfillment for you and make your life easier and help you sell more, then I love it. So it really was kind of around that. And um, there are a ton of small agencies. And so there were two plays that, uh, that we thought that, you know, I think uh, you would know for this for sure, that building recurring revenue into your agencies is just so, so important. And everybody's realizing that now. To really grow your agency and know that you can make payroll and know that you're going to put food on the table if you're just a one-man shop, you really got to grow your recurring revenue. And so the fact that we had kind of figured that out and we had spent years building the software that could manage it all, it made sense to break it apart and let other people use it. So that was, you know, that was one of them. Um, The other one was that we thought, well, hey, you know, a growth lever for us could be, If we take a small margin, a small percentage of every single reseller, you know, we could sell more gigs than we ever could on one platform. And so if we could empower tens of thousands of agencies to be able to sell gigs on demand, not having to get on the phone all the time for every service that they sell, not have to manage every single piece of work that's done under their fulfillment uh, at every step and also build in recurring revenue into their business. It made sense.
0: So I, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit unclear. Like, how does it work from an agency's perspective? Like, they sign up at Workify, and then they kind of have, like, a portal where they can... Yeah. Like, they, they have their own sales processes where they're offering, like, SEO services. They want to add on Facebook ad services powered by you guys, powered by your marketplace. They could just kind of do that and then bring their clients in on board through their portal, basically.
1: Yeah. So basically, if you look at Growth Geeks and you slapped uh, your Cast Jam logo on it and put all your copy in, you could launch it on your domain and all our workers sit behind those services and you literally would sell them and they would fulfill it under a white label email under your brand, do all the work for your customers. That's one way that um, Workify agencies are using us. The other way is we're building flexibility into the pricing, but right now we don't. So some of them want to sell higher price stuff where they want to do a little more hands-on management. And so they just set up their you know, growth geeks website, Workify website, and they buy it themselves. And then they manage the worker for each person that they buy it
0: for. And so like the email communication between the freelancer and the agencies and clients, like that stuff is basically white labeled?
1: Yeah. So basically they get their own growth geeks, if they want it, you know? And the way it plugs in, there's so many different reasons why people want to use that sort of model. Um, and you probably know this as well, like, They might do high touch stuff and then people come to them in their funnel and they're way out of their price range. Well, their options are either to send them away or to send them to someone else. Or if they have a lower price tier where they could send them and maybe they get some success and then feel comfortable and come back, you know, and buy higher tier stuff later, they could. That's one reason people want to do it. The other reason is the recurring revenue.
0: Yeah, I've seen that a lot. We get resellers through audience ops and it's It's true. Like they either they're, they're selling like a lot of like one time big project type of stuff, but in order for their clients to have success, they kind of need an ongoing follow through with marketing. And, and then, I mean, the ability to bolt on recurring revenue to an agency is huge. I love it.
1: Absolutely. I love talking to you because you're one of, you're one of the few dudes that is like, you know, you live and breathe very much the same philosophies that I do in a lot of ways. And actually like, God, I wish I wrote your sales page on your product ice <laughs> site because I went there and I was like, Oh my God, like all these thoughts, if I could put them so eloquently, it'd be the exactly, you know, I couldn't have written it better myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was me, you know,
1: yeah, love, writing to yeah. myself, you know, uh, well, no, no copywriter could just go and write that. You got to know that world.
0: Yeah, totally. Cool. So, uh, I mean, you know, where else before we, we wrap up, like what's kind of on your plate today, you know, here we are near the end of 2017. Where's Growth Geeks going? What What are you kind of working on right now?
1: Yeah, so Growth Geeks, I think we're just continuing on our steady row on growing that side of the company. Uh, we're providing good service to businesses at an affordable price. And we're really focused on getting more of the on-demand services out to businesses by going through our agency network and Workify resellers. So just uh, agencies that want to use Workify and send their customers or direct their customers through those on-demand uh, productized gigs. Awesome.
0: Well, uh, yeah, Mike, thanks for coming on. This is really, really interesting stuff. Um, you guys should definitely go over and check out Growth Geeks. I mean, if, no, if nothing else, just the, the design and the layout of your sites is beautiful, and it really makes a lot of sense you know, from a user-customer standpoint. So really cool the way that you've, you've built this business.
1: Yeah, that's uh, Doug Logue. Um, he used to be over at one month and we got him back over the early days with Bronson. Uh, he's an awesome product guy, awesome design, and he does marketing and growth hacking really awesome too. So I got to give a shout out. Uh, yeah. I, I love the way our sites look too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, thanks Mike. Hey, thanks. All right. Was that good? Let me know what you thought of this one. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you recently. You're not getting my emails? Okay, then head over to my site, castjam.com. You can join my newsletter there. You'll get my best stuff about entrepreneurship, productizing, and more. Also, a five-star review in iTunes is always appreciated. That'll help others like us come find these episodes. All right, until next time, we get back to working on the business. Later.